0: we have right now is a blowout sale for the purple I shoot Raw shirt as well as the orange I Shoot Raw shirt. Click on either one of those up on the screen to take you over to that particular shirt. They are on sale at a blowout price of $9.99 each instead of $14.99. And each shirt will come with a free sticker pack and a See the World keychain. All of this is why some wild supplies last because they are limited. And once these shirts are gone, we're not bringing them back anytime soon. So that's 8 H&M Shamwows for $19.95. But if you call now, Within the next 20 minutes, because we can't do this all day, you'll get the ShamWow Mop, a $20 value, free. Just pay separate shipping and handling. Here's how to order. Smart USA is having an early Black Friday sale. Doors open at 4 p.m. Thanksgiving Day. Get at bac T-Vac 7-inch tablet for just $14.88. This Apple TV is only $49. A 40-inch 4K Ultra HD TV for $149.88. KitchenAid's Pro Stand Mixer is only one ninety nine eighty eight. dollars 88 Or this top-load laundry pair is just 5 dollars 476. Hurry in. Brand smart. USA doors open at 4 p.m. Thanksgiving Day. Alright. Forgive that word from our sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> Be honest. Did anybody think you're, that we played the wrong video there for a second? Everybody's trying to figure out what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that uh, all that stuff all those commercials, all those ads, all this, it gives me terrible anxiety. In fact, I was getting anxiety watching it. I made the video. and I was getting anxiety watching this video. Uh, but there's this, um, there's this movement in our culture. And this movement is towards now. Right? It's towards now. You've got to get it now. You've got to do it now. You heard in a lot of those commercials, wall supplies last. Right? If you order in the next 20 minutes, if you do the thing now... You gotta get it now or else it's gone. It's simply gone and you do not want to miss out. And so this is something um, that it's kind of crept in over the past few decades. But specifically, at least in my lifetime, it's really found its grip in Black Friday. Now, uh, this is time for honesty. Who is a Black Friday shopper? Mom. Come on. Okay, I will be praying for you all. You are not well. You are not well. Black Friday, it gives me such anxiety. Uh, you, this might be a recurring theme for me. First of all, shopping in general. I don't like shopping in general because I, I don't like it when there's a salesperson around. Anybody else? I don't like it when there's a salesperson around. If, if I go to like a car lot and there's a salesperson, I pretend like I'm doing something else. Like, oh, no, 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 I was just, I was looking for my wife. She's you know, like, I, know I don't wanna to talk to you about that. Or like Costco, anybody? If I see the credit card person when I walk in the door, I go all the way around to the other side. I don't have a problem telling people no, I just don't like being like pushed. Like, you gotta get it now. Sign up for this great offer, all this type of stuff. And it's, it's epitomized in Black Friday, right? Black Friday. Why do we do Black Friday? It's the deals. Right? It's the deals, baby. we got to save some money. So they have all of these specials, all these deals. But it boils down to something even a little more basic. They're not just deals. They're scarce. They're scarce. And that kind of breeds fear into us that I might miss out on this thing. And I've got to go. I've got to go. And I've got to be there. And... Um, They'll be gone, and there's limited time offers, and and there's doorbusters, and the doorbusters keep backing up. Now you can do Black Friday, a week before Black Friday, right, and every day in between, but there's always something to get you to come, to get you to go, and it always preys on that fear of not getting the thing, not getting the deal. It becomes this zero-sum game, right? We only have, you heard the guy with the t-shirts, they a limited time, and once they're gone, baby, they're gone. We're not, we're not making these t-shirts again. And so, there's two things at play here. First off, there's this scarcity of time. I have a certain amount of time to do something. And then there's this zero-sumness that there's only a limited number, so I have to get them before somebody else can get them. If they get them, I don't get them, right? We have this mentality of scarcity in this world. There's not enough to go around. There's only a little bit. And so I have to go and get it for me before it's gone, before somebody else gets it. And so it builds this competition into everything that we do. It builds this rivalry into everything we do. It builds this longing into everything that we do. And we have, um, for the most part, we've glorified it as a culture. Glorified this idea we're all, we're all happy with sales, right? Because it's less money. But there's also this idea of you got to get it. you got to have it. You need this. It makes you better. All these types of things. And so scarcity becomes a commodifier in our lives, in our world. A commodifier. And so a commodifier essentially, it makes, it adds a price to something. Right? Not a value to something. It adds a price to something. And the more rare the thing the more expensive, right? We, we know this. Supply and demand, this is basic economics, right? The more rare the thing is, the more expensive. I, I haven't seen it lately, but the, the price per ounce of gold is you know, in, in so many thousands because it's this rare thing. But then there's these common things that aren't very expensive. So if you go to Costco right now, this is not a Costco commercial, they keep coming up today, but you can buy that 40 pack of water that you can't put in your car, right? You can buy that for like a nickel, Anybody? Right? And so I don't know what that breaks down per bottle, but it's nothing, essentially, right? Well, it's nothing. Now, my wife and I, we were in Kenya about four years ago. We spent a month in Kenya with a, with a mission there. And one of the first things I noticed, first of all, water is scarce, right? It's not like here you just go to the tap and you know, we complain because it's well water versus city water, whatever the thing is. I mean, it's still drinkable water. Drinkable water is very rare in the part of Kenya we were at. And... So rare, in fact, that if you went to the grocery store to buy a bottle of water, a bottle of water was more expensive than a bottle of Coca-Cola. Think about that for a second. More expensive. And Coca-Cola is like 99% water, right? But the bottle of water was more expensive than the Coca-Cola because it was scarce. And so they make a profit off of what's scarce, right? that's the thing you jack up. And so we commodify these things. We see this all the time with oil and gas prices, right? When, they, when, when OPEC or whoever decides to stop pumping more oil, our, the prices go up, right? When they let the supply out, the prices go down. We see this all the time. It becomes a commodity for how we interact. So when we have a lack of something, a scarcity of something, we all, we all kind of tighten Kind of tighten the belt a little bit, right? And we're not so willing to give things away. But what happens when we have an abundance of things? Anybody, my um, anybody do gardens here? You have like a garden in your backyard? My in-laws always have a garden, a great garden, and every year I mean, they grow lettuce, they grow tomatoes, cucumbers, everything, and and we always get blessed with a couple bags throughout the year of whatever, right? Because they just. It's just growing, and they had too much. They couldn't eat it all, and so they just start giving it away. They didn't set up a roadside stand. They're not selling it. They just, they just give it away. Anybody been there? You just, we have too many tomatoes. Well, oh, give them to the neighbor, right? We just we pass this stuff out. We've done this with, uh, with kids' clothes. We've been so blessed by people around us that are, Oh, no, we've got, we've got extra clothes. We've got extra toys. We would love to get rid of them. Could can we, can we pawn them off on you? Right? That's how we disguise our giving. No. We just give it away, right? We just have too much. Here, take it. Please. Hopefully it can be useful to you. And it's been super useful to us. But scarcity does the opposite of that. It causes us to close our hands instead of open our hands. The other thing scarcity does is it turns our relationships into commodities. Our relationships become rivalries, right? Um, I don't know if if you've been like this in work, but when there's zero-sum mindset, sets in and maybe you've been passed over for a promotion or you've been passed over for a raise or somebody else got whatever assignment that you thought you deserved or whatever. I don't know if you've been there in that time. But this scarcity mindset usually causes us to celebrate them, right? You got it, you earned it. No, I, we do that sometimes on the surface, but very rarely do we like really mean, man, I'm glad you got the promotion instead of me. How often? Right? We'd love to see them get promoted as well, maybe, but not instead of. And that's what scarcity does. We're not celebrating the person. You know, at most, we, you know, we'll shake their hand and congratulations. But usually what happens then is we go like, to other people and we're like, well, I don't know why they got promoted. I've been here so long and I've done all these types of things. And, you know, I'm the perfect person, right? That's how we talk about it to other people. Or we badmouth the boss, well... They're an idiot, and you know they. I this is gonna this you know this is gonna backfire, and then they're gonna come begging me to take right. This is how we talk about it, and this is a scarcity mindset that there's not enough to go around, and so because I didn't get my thing, I got to pull back. I got to pull back. I got to hold on. Now this shows up uh, in in a great passage in the Bible, and uh, you know it's always a bad day when the pastor says we're gonna read from 2 Samuel. Because first off, it's in the Old Testament. and Everyone's like, oh God. And then it's, it's a prophet. So you know it's going to be weird, right? And then it's the second one of two books, which means there's all this background and context that we're not going to get to. So no one's going to know what we're talking about. So we'll just turn it off right now. But I got good news. I'm not going to read from 2 Samuel. I'm going to read from 1 Samuel this morning. So we're going to back it up just a little bit. Okay? In 1 Samuel, there's a story and this story is about Saul, King Saul, and David, who would later become king. And so in the story, they return after, after a battle. It says after a victory. They return back to Samaria, which was the capital at that time. And, and people are rushing out to greet them as they come back in because, you know, these are their sons, and these are their brothers, and these are their husbands, and these are the, their neighbors, and they're coming back from war, and they want to welcome them back and greet them. And so... Everybody's rushing out. And it says, it says uh, this particular group of people broke into song. And in their song, they're praising them as they come back. And they say, they Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. That's the song they sing. And so the scripture goes on to say, Saul was very angry. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with tens of thousands? And me with only thousands? Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. In this story, Saul sees David getting the good praise. Right? He got the better praise. And by the way, they're praising Saul in this, right? Saul has killed his thousands, which apparently is a compliment to kill thousands of people. But you've done it. You were great in battle. You've, you've done amazing things. And then they go on to say that David happened to kill more people than him, which apparently is a better praise. So. But David has killed his 10,000. And this Saul starts to retract because he's getting the better praise. All right, I'm going I'm to make this sacrilegious for a second. Has anybody seen the Adam Sandler classic Big Daddy? We talk about this on Sunday and it's still like holy? I'm not sure. In the movie... They're throwing a surprise party for this girl. And uh, uh, the girl's sister's throwing this party, and they work really hard to get everything set up, and, and, uh, and everybody's kind of waiting, right? Waiting for them to come in the door. And then Adam Sandler walks in the door. Surprise! And then the sister runs up, and she goes, Ah, oh, it's just him. She, and then, then she stops She goes, We wasted the good surprise on you. And then she runs off crying. And immediately after that, her sister comes in. And there's no one there to say surprise anymore. But that's kind of what's going on here. We get so upset about the good surprise being blown that we're not, we miss the opportunity to do the other thing. Or we miss the opportunity for other praise. Or we miss what we have because we didn't get the one thing that we wanted or the thing that we should have gotten. So it wasn't enough of a compliment that, that Saul killed thousands. It wasn't good enough praise. And so it goes on to say that he became jealous of David. He started to keep his eye on David. He started to worry about David. And what kind of happened here is that he created this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy around it. That's what jealousy does. When you become jealous of other people, when you become worried about what other people have, it creates this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. And so Saul even says it in that scripture we read, next they'll be making him their king. Right? And then through the course of events, Saul falls out of favor, mostly because of his jealousy and and because um, he's he's so micromanaging everything, he's so worried about everything, and, and he takes his eyes off of what he actually should be doing, and he's all selfishly, it's all inward. That's what scarcity does. It's all inward focused. And eventually, David gets picked to replace him. So this scarcity becomes a mental prison for us. It becomes a place that we get stuck. And it changes our focus from what we do have to what we don't have. Always about what we don't have. What they have, what we didn't get. And this fear causes us to see the world is scarce. Everything that's going on now is scarce. scarce. We have to hold on to what we have. We have to hold on to our thing. We have to protect. And when we do this, we stop giving. We stop giving to other people in a lot of different ways. We stop giving people compliments. Right? We don't, well, we don't want them to get a big head or anything. You know? We're doing it for their sake. But we stop giving compliments. We stop giving attention to people, right? If, well, I'm not going to give them attention because then they'll think that, it, that I approve. And I, so we hold back our attention. Hold that back. We stop giving resources because we have this fear that we're going to run out. I'm going to have nothing if I give something away. We stop investing in other people and in the world around us in this scarcity, small, fear-based mindset. Now, Jesus talks about this. In one scripture in particular, he says that the reason he has come is to give people a full, abundant life. That when you start to see the world the way God intends us to see it, the way it was created to be seen and created to interact with, you would get this full, abundant life. You would stop being worried about what you don't have. You would stop being worried that there's not enough. Because it ends up that there is plenty when you live in a life of abundant. See, the laws of the kingdom of God are very different from the way that we interact in this world, right? We operate on this kind of scarcity um, mentality. We, we operate on, um, on the economics that surround that, and so prices and values. And we, we, we tend to think of, things, we think of things like our time in terms of dollars, right? It's all this scarcity. Well, I don't have enough of this. I don't have enough of that. So I have to put a price on it. It has to cost something for somebody else to get it. But the rules of the kingdom are different. If you've ever read uh, what, we, what we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Jesus begins to lay out. The rules or the laws of the, of the kingdom. So in our world, we have things like gravity. We have things like time, right? We have all these things that govern how we exist. And, and those are the laws of this world. But there's laws of the kingdom that Jesus lays out. And they're vastly different from what we live in right now. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He lays out a different way to look at the world, a different way to interact with this world and to be in this world. And we have a tough time with that because it's counterintuitive to how we live, it's counterintuitive to what we see around us. But the kingdom of God is different. And Paul goes on later to say that the kingdom of God is so different that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the holy spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is. That's kind of the outcome of living this abundant life with this abundant mindset. Righteousness by the way is just a fancy way of saying rightness. Like that. That was very theological for you this morning. You're welcome. Rightness, so doing what you were created to do. So when a you plant a seed and it becomes whatever it was, a vegetable, a tree, a flower, That's righteousness. It's doing what it was intended to do. It's doing what it was created to do. Nothing more, nothing less. That's righteousness. When you're doing what you were created to do. Righteousness, peace, and love, it's a different way of living. When you live like this, you live in abundance. You live without fear. You live without the worry that you're missing out or that there's not enough. There's no more of that fear. There's another story in Scripture about a boy with some bread. And this is in in John 6. But in the story, Jesus is out kind of in a desolate place and he's he's teaching the people there. And and they've been there for a long time. And and the disciples come and say, we need to send them away so they can get food. They're very far from a place and they they need time to get there. And by the time they get there, they're going to be starving. And Jesus says, well, why don't you feed them? And, And they say, well... To feed this many people, it would take a year's worth of wages, which we clearly don't have. And, and Jesus said, well, what do we have? What do we have? And one of the disciples comes and he says this, and, and Shelly, if you put that up, please. He says, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? So that's what they had. They had a couple of fish and a couple of loaves. Right? But they don't see any value in it because it's a very little thing. Imagine, for example, that you are going to the Lions game today for some unknown reason. <laughs> and you show up, and you happen to be first in line for a bratwurst. And you get your bratwurst. And then they announce, we are all out of food everywhere in the stadium. And everybody's like, oh, wow, we're hungry, and... This is going to be a long game, it's going to be a terrible game anyway, so we need something to comfort us, we need food. And so everybody starts to come to you, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, go Lions. (laughs) Everyone starts to come to you, would you share your bratwurst with this other 65,000 people? And what's your first response? Absolutely not. Are you kidding? First of all, that's ridiculous. Second of all, I got, this is my bratwurst. If I give you this bratwurst, then I don't have a bratwurst, right? And so this is, this, is the, this is what's going on here. It says there's 5,000 people. They only count men back then. We won't get into that. But there's probably at least 12,000 people there. And this kid has two loaves of bread and two fish. Or multiple loaves of bread. I forget the math exactly. But they think, what is that among such a huge crowd of people? And so Jesus says, give it to me. And he takes it and he gives thanks for it. He gives thanks for it. He's thankful for the little bit that they have. And then he begins to divide it out. And says they pass it all out. Everybody eats whatever they want, whatever they want, as much as they want. And then when they're done, they send out the baskets and they collect it and they fill 12 baskets. And these were fishing baskets, so they're, they're big baskets. So there's plenty left over. And the idea here is that when we operate from an abundance mindset, there's always enough. There's always enough. Now, think about this, too. This little boy, out of 5,000 or 12,000, probably wasn't the only one with lunch. Probably. Maybe I'm reading into the Scripture here a little bit. He probably wasn't the only one. But it looks like he was the only one willing to give up his bratwurst for the 65,000 starving Lions fans. He was the only one willing. And because he was willing... Everybody got something. Because he was willing to see beyond the meagerness, the smallness of what he had in face of all this. Everybody got some, And so we have this mentality of life that we're going to miss out. Right? That, that um, if we don't get it, somebody else will get it. And, and if we don't get there in time, it's going to be gone. But I'm here to tell you, God has structured this world and our lives such that we don't have to miss out. It's a buffet. Life is a buffet. Anybody been to a buffet lately? Come on, be honest. All right, I went to an Indian buffet the other day. I'd never been before, and I have a friend um, who took me. Uh, he he is of Indian descent, and he said, "You got to go, man. You you've never had an Indian buffet." And so I went, and um, you know, I noticed I noticed going around that uh, like oh, I mean, I want to try everything, and so I'm stacking up my plate. Right, it's like this high. And then I go back to see, it and he's like, why Why do you have so much? I'm like, well, I want to try everything. He's like, well, you get another plate. Anybody? You yeah, have like, you can get another plate. There's more plates up there. It's a buffet. They come, they fill it up again, right? But it's just this idea that kind of bleeds into us. I need to get it right now or I won't get it. And so we end up with the plate that we can't do anything with. We can't taste everything, right? Because it's all blended in together and it's all nasty at that point, right? It's... It's weird, the the gummy bears are now in the milk, and you, you understand what I'm saying? It's all mixed. And we don't taste it anyway. When we have that mindset, when it's, we don't taste the good stuff anyway. We just hoard it. We just pull it all together and we consume it. And we never really get individual pieces. But you can get another plate. That's what abundance is about. You don't have to get it all right now. There's more, there's enough. You can leave some for other people too. They can have food, it's great. By the way, I recommend the Indian buffet if you haven't. But we need to change our mindset and that's what Jesus is challenging us to do, to change our mindset from scarcity where there's not enough, where I'm not gonna have enough for me, where I'm afraid all the time, where I'm grasping all the time, where I'm jealous and I'm creating rivalries and, and really just destroying my own mental life, worrying about everything. Jesus is trying to open us up to abundance, that there's enough that we can share, that you can pass it out. Someone here in our church started a program. uh, Tony Casanova, if you know him, he started a program called Invisible Dad. It's now, I believe, in all the schools in Oakland County. But the whole premise behind it was, he found out through one of his kids that when kids don't have enough money for lunch at school, they're given crackers and cheese. And not only is that obviously not really enough, But there's a stigma that goes with that. When you're the kid with crackers and cheese, everybody knows that you didn't have money for lunch, right? And so now these kids, you know, they're made to feel bad. They don't get enough to eat. It's a bad situation. So Tony started this program where he started putting money in the bank account at the school and said, if a kid doesn't have lunch, you don't even tell them. You just ring it up to me. And they get lunch, full lunch. They never even know that there was not enough money in their account, right? It's a beautiful program. And so he told other people about it and parents and PTA have rallied around. They've raised all this money. They've raised like $3,000 already for this program to make sure the kids get lunch. The kids feel normal. They feel like everybody else. They they get enough nutrition, all these things. That's an abundance mindset. That's not the, well, at least my kids are, at least I packed my kids lunch. At least they got lunch. That's thinking out. And when he did that, when he stepped out, other people joined in and it's a movement now. It started in one school and now it's in all of Oakland County schools. It's a beautiful thing. It's abundant. It's an abundant mindset. So when we live in this scarcity, we live in this, I need it. I got to hold it for me. It's got to be mine. But when abundance sets in, we start to give and we start to see that there's plenty to go around and that other people have that they can offer and it all gets taken care of. It's a very beautiful thing. And that's what Jesus talks about as the kingdom of God. Giving ourselves.